Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Well, good morning to everyone here. I see some old friends, which is delightful to see, and lots of faces that I don't recognize. So I'm Karen. I'm married to the lovely Paul. My beautiful daughters are both here, one in the room and one in kids' church, uh, up to all sorts of mischief, I imagine. Um, But I just want to welcome you here this morning, whether you've been here for a long time or not, and welcome to everyone at Balham and Battersea and those who are watching and listening to us online. We're partway through this series on the kingdom of God. So I'm going to begin with a little recap. Two weeks ago, we heard from Mike here at Balaam as he set out the story of the kingdom of God from beginning to end and challenged us to locate our lives in that story. And last week, across each site, three incredible women, Julia, Ruth, and Kelsey, unpacked the message of the kingdom, its immediacy, its urgency, and its authority, and how it is backed up with demonstrations of power. Now this week, I'm going to talk about the character of the kingdom, which all too often might seem so sort of counterintuitive that we could call it the upside-down kingdom. But first, let us remind ourselves, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? To us, a kingdom is a place where we live. We live in the United Kingdom with all its boundaries and borders, and you can find it on a map. Whilst we might not expect to see the kingdom of God on a map, we can get a little bit confused about geography and location and perhaps expect to find it somewhere out there in the universe, perhaps if we just traveled far enough. But the kingdom of God is not about geography or location. It is about the rule and the reign of God. It is God's reality reaching out to us from the space around us. The Bible gives us many, many glimpses of this kingdom, but there's one at the very end in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4, which I'd like you to keep in mind this morning. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be there, God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Here we see this glimpse into God's eternal kingdom, the world as it might be, as it will be one day, a place of absolute peace, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness under the reign of a loving, powerful God and King. There is no sickness. There is no injustice. There is no pain. And this is our future hope. And so we pray, as Jesus instructed us, Lord God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth, as we did earlier, in London, as it is in heaven. Let this future hope be our present reality, here and now, today. So why might we describe this incredible kingdom as an upside-down kingdom? Well, I'm guessing, looking out on you. 
If we're honest, our experience doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always make a lot of sense. And when we look at the Bible to try and unpack this, to try and understand this, we don't always seem to get a lot of help from there either. From an Old Testament perspective, the coming of God's kingdom is viewed as a single future event. We might describe it as a manifestation of God's power, which will sweep away the wicked kingdoms of human sovereignty and fill all the earth with his righteousness. This was the understandable expectation of the Old Testament writers. This is how they interpreted what they knew. But the explanation of the New Testament is very different. In the New Testament, we get a sense of a mystery revealed. Illustrated in Jesus' teaching, especially in his parables, that the kingdom of God, which is still yet to come, just as the Old Testament writers expected, is also somehow present on the earth right now. In their words, we see that the kingdom of God is present and future. And as one writer has put it, it is an inner redemptive blessing, which can only be experienced through new birth, and has something to do with the government of the nations of the world. It is a realm into which men and women enter now, and it is a realm they will enter tomorrow. It is at the same time a gift which will be bestowed by God in the future and which must be received in the present. No wonder we get a little bit confused. So I'm going to try and unpack some of this this morning. I am going to give us three things that we can look at three characteristics of this kingdom that I think will help us to recognize when we see God at work. Is this God? Is this his kingdom? Is this how he works? I think it will help us receive what it is that he is doing. And I think it will help us to wrestle with this. That is not a bad thing to do. The Bible is full of people wrestling with their faith. It is okay. I pray you don't get stuck there, but it's not a terrible place to be. It is a good place to be, to wrestle with your faith. So the first one is, it is the now and not yet of the kingdom. It was the coming of Jesus that marked the arrival and the commencement of the kingdom of God on the earth. It was not a violent revolution, as we know, or a political takeover, but it was a subversive proclamation and demonstration of God's presence invading the earth. But two of the images that Jesus gives us for this are taken from everyday items that his listeners would have been familiar with, the mustard seed and yeast in dough. Matthew 13, verses 31 to 33 say, The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus then told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In Jesus' life and his teaching, we see the kingdom of God inaugurated and unleashed in radical acts of power and dramatic works of love. We don't see an end to all sickness and suffering, an end to all poverty or abuse of power, or an end to all violence and oppression. But we do see a beginning. Men and women are miraculously healed, delivered from demonic oppression, and raised from the dead. Some of them are raised from the dead. 
Crowds of thousands are fed with the supernatural multiplication of food. And even nature obeys his commands. And not only that, men and women who are on the very margins of society are brought to the center and they are given a voice. This is the kingdom of God. We see the beginning of something in Jesus' life and teaching that is unprecedented, that has never happened before. But in the context of the Roman Empire, it is seemingly insignificant and at work in the dark. Just as with the mustard seed and the yeast, the kingdom of God is present and it is active, even though it remains unseen by many. Because of Jesus, God's dwelling place is with us, in us, and all around us, in our ordinary, everyday spaces, in the transformation of our lives. He has begun something, and it continues today. This is the good news. This is the gospel, that the presence and availability of life in the kingdom of God is here, here in terms of timing, here in terms of proximity. And yet, when we read the book of Acts, the story of the early church, and we love those miracles, we see that for every Peter, one of the disciples, who was released from prison by an angel, there was another disciple, James, who died there. In Hebrews 11, we read of these heroes of the faith who shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fire of the flames, and they escaped the sword. And yet in the very same chapter, others were imprisoned and tortured, and many were put to death. And this has been the story ever since. The kingdom of God does not come without opposition. How we define that opposition, how much we focus on that opposition, and what we do about it is a whole other sermon. But living between the now and the not yet inevitably involves a clash of kingdoms between good and evil, darkness and light. We see it all around us in damaged lives, in broken bodies and minds, and in unjust systems. And it is not good. But the now and the not yet are the realities within which we live. They are the tension which we will always wrestle with because we live between the inbreaking of the kingdom in the coming of Jesus and the fullness of the kingdom yet to come. We live between the beginning and the end. Two. This brings us to the both and of the kingdom. Whilst our culture has a tendency towards polarization, towards extremes, either or answers, which can lead to extremism or to imbalance, the kingdom of God carries within it another powerful but and uncomfortable tension. Some of this we probably have seen in the church and you might recognize in yourselves. Our tendency towards evangelism or social justice, towards intellectual reasoning or emotional experience, towards demonstrative worship perhaps or contemplative prayer. We have a tendency towards one thing or another because we're human and we prefer what we feel comfortable with. But the way of the kingdom is very different. In the kingdom, we learn how to live both very ordinary and very extraordinary lives. We are, if nothing else, very ordinary. I hate to break that to you. You are probably the most ordinary bunch of people I've seen in a very long time, and I assume it's nothing different at Battersea and Westside. And yet, Take a look at your fingers. You can do that, everyone, fingers. Of all the billions of people who have lived on the earth, 
You have a unique pattern on the tips of yours. You are one of a kind. And did you know that your eyes alone are an extraordinary work of wonder? Did you know that you see the world upside down until your brain decodes the image that you see and flips it the right way up? I feel like there's a metaphor in there somewhere. All this to say that we are familiar with this both-and tension. It is rooted within us deeper than we know. We may prefer what we feel comfortable with, but to live full and honest lives, we live with all sorts of tension. As kingdom people, this means we pray for miraculous breakthroughs, and we will get up tomorrow with patient perseverance. We will be devastated by our own sin, and we will stand in the righteousness of God. We will feed the hungry and we will heal the sick. We will pay our taxes and we will protest against injustice. We will worship on our knees and we will get up and do the washing up. We will care for our bodies and we will take care of our souls. We will engage with our culture and we will live radically different lives because we are learning how to love God and love our neighbor in the midst of this secular city rooted in a supernatural kingdom. It is never either or with Jesus. It is always both and and more. Rich Nathan, a vineyard pastor who has literally written the book on this, says, we believe scripture calls us to live a both and faith that is radically Christ-centered. Both and is not advocating for the mean between two extremes or finding the average. It is the holding to both extremes at once and the realization of the power that exists in that tension. This might mean discomfort for us and confusion for those around us. It can make us unreliable allies to those looking to sign us up to their cause. But we can embrace the person of Jesus because he lived in this tension. He was the coming king and he is the suffering servant. He would not be drawn into violent revolution, but he would not be complicit in the corruption of his day. He would not choose between forgiveness of sins or healing the sick. He would not choose between feeding the hungry or casting out demons. He would not choose between walking on water or riding on a donkey. He was fully God and fully man, both leader and teacher, servant and friend, our triumphant savior and our crucified king. Thirdly, it is death before life. Jesus describes entry into this kingdom as being born again. We don't use that phrase very much these days. It makes me feel a little bit awkward just saying it out loud. It's got too much baggage, but we can't get away from its truth. The difference between life in the kingdom of God and life outside it is so radical that it requires a new birth, a new identity, a new citizenship, a complete reorientation of our lives, something which everyone is looking for, but in all the wrong places. The difference between life in the kingdom and outside is just radical. We may try to find what it has to offer in the accumulation of more stuff, in wild new experiences, or just the certainty and security that we think income, relationships, or more activity will provide. But our deepest longing is for so much more because we were made for another kingdom. Despite of all that humankind is capable of, we are still searching for answers to the problems we've always faced. Instead, we're offered this counterfeit life, propped up with the promise of prosperity on the one hand and the permission to be anything you want on the other. 
We may experience temporary relief that way, but all we really find is disappointment. Life as it is sold to us right now does not satisfy because we were made for something else. We were made for another kingdom, a kingdom that welcomes the small and the insignificant, the poor and the powerless, the weary and the empty-handed. And whatever you look like on the outside, whatever we look like on the outside, that's us. That is all of us. That's all we have to offer. That is who we really are. But life in the kingdom offers us a different kind of life, one that is rich in what we really long for. It will require a long obedience in the same direction. But it is a life lived in the presence of God, with the person of God, filled with the power of God. And that is life in the kingdom of God. To recognize this, to receive this, will be the biggest decision of your life. But because it is a decision to come and die. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The way into this kingdom is death. Death to one way of life in order to be born into another. The Apostle Paul, he puts it like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life I live in the body I live by faith through the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The coming of the kingdom, as we were reminded last week, confronts us with an immediate, urgent, authoritative call. It demands a total reorientation of ourselves towards the way of Christ, a choice we make often daily to acknowledge that Christ alone is king. Not as one who is demanding something of us which he has never had to give, but as one who suffered and died first. And by the power of his resurrection, enables us to do the same so that we might experience this whole new life. So let us remind ourselves. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It is the activity of God reaching into our lives out of the space around us and working deep within us. Firstly, we see it in part now and in all its fullness, not yet, but it began in Jesus. Second, it is both and, not either or, but we embrace this tension in the person of Jesus. And it requires death before life, as demonstrated by Jesus, to which we respond by laying down our lives in order to receive his life and to become his dwelling place. This kind of life is real life. And it can only be found in the person of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you know what? In the company of one another, in the church. We were never meant to do this alone. This isn't easy. Life in the kingdom of God is a contact sport. It is, we like to say, a group project. Not just for our benefit, for our support and encouragement, which we so desperately need, but that the world might see 
what an alternate kingdom looks like. Of the church, Eugene Peterson writes, it is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. It is not that kingdom complete. The church is not the kingdom, but it is a witness to that kingdom. The book of Acts, that story of the early church, begins with Jesus teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. Incredibly, after everything he has said and done, they are still confused about what it means, probably much like you're feeling this morning. When they ask him if he'll finally establish the kingdom of God on earth in a way that will rescue them from, as peoples from the occupation and the oppression of the Roman Empire, Jesus says, no. And he tells them to wait, wait, wait for my gift, which the Father has promised, because in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' coming was just the beginning. We read about it in those pages. It's not something that started long ago in a distant sense, but it is something that began long ago and continues with us and in us and around us today. Jesus was starting something that he always meant to pass on. And when the Holy Spirit came, these very ordinary men and women, just like you, were filled with his presence and began to do what he had done. They taught on the kingdom of God. They fed the hungry. They healed the sick. They created new communities of Jesus' followers. And they get arrested. 30 years later, after much arrest, at the end of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome which could not be a less satisfactory conclusion to this story, frankly. Just as Jesus' life seemed to end with his death, Paul's story ends, at this stage, imprisoned, with an ominous sense of threat hanging over him. But Luke also tells us in Acts 28, verses 16 to 30, 16 and 30, for two years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's under house arrest. He's not exactly able to act without all hindrance. But he is unsurprised by this. He is undeterred by this. He sees opposition as opportunity. He understands that the work of God looks like a mustard seed. It is present and active, but it is at work in the dark. Paul is living in the tension between the now and the not yet, the both and of the kingdom and death before life. He's already suffered great loss by this point, physical assault and shipwreck, and now he is under house arrest again. But while Paul is physically restrained, the kingdom of God is spreading across the Roman Empire. What seems like a dead end for the church at this point was in fact a cliffhanger and the opening of a whole new chapter, one that reaches to us today. Christianity would become, for better or worse, depending on how you look at it, the state religion within 300 years. And from there, it would take care of those in need across the empire, and it would spread around the world, like yeast in dough, changing individual lives and changing the course of history, sustaining and inspiring those in the abolition of slavery, in the civil rights movement, and even playing its part in the fall of the Berlin Wall through candlelit prayer and nonviolent protest. What kind of kingdom is this? It is not what we were expecting. It is not what we were prepared for. It is back to front. It is upside down. It is the wrong way round. But it is everything. It is everything that we long for. Power, 
that lives up, lifts up the powerless, peace that surpasses understanding, truth that sets us free, joy that gives us strength, love that never fails. It is the presence and activity of God for all, on all flesh, for all people, everywhere, and here for us today. This is the kingdom of God. Let's stand. Can I have the band back? We're going to take a moment just to pause as the band get themselves together. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is always here. But we're going to ask God to increase his presence right now. When we do this, this is so much more about us than it is about God. God is here. His presence is here. We're just opening up our hearts, our hands, our minds to him. I encourage you to close your eyes. That's merely to reduce the distractions around you, to make this easier for you to focus. But you don't have to close your eyes. I love looking around and seeing what God is doing. So you can close your eyes, keep them open. You can put your hands out as an expression of what's going on in your heart. No one thinks you're, something's not going on in your heart just because you haven't got your hands out. It's just, it's a gesture, it's posture. You can come down the front this morning. You can come kneel at the cross. You can come up here and we can pray for you. But you can receive more of God's kingdom, more of his spirit right where you are. And it's really important that you learn how to do that for yourself. So you can do that when you wake up in the morning. You can do that in the office. You can do that in the shower. So Battersea and Westside, I'm going to hang over to you for a moment, or you can step up now. We're just going to take a moment. Take a moment to connect with what God has been saying to you this morning. Perhaps from the moment you got here, perhaps during worship, perhaps during something that I just said. God, increase your presence. Increase your presence with us here at Ballon and at Battersea and Westside. Open our hearts, our minds, our bodies to you. We think of our workplaces. We think of the things we don't want to think about right now. Let your kingdom come in every one of them. Let your kingdom come in our homes, in our parenting, in our shortcomings, in our finances, in our bodies. Lord God, come reach into our pasts, redeem them, rearrange them, restore them. Be here with us in the present. And Lord, go ahead of us. Be at work in what is yet to come for us. But just increase your presence for us right now. Okay, I'm going to ask the band to lead us in worship, the same at Battersea and Westside. But we're just going to wait in this place, even as we worship. Take this opportunity to respond to God right where you are. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.